The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show on this Thursday. Thank you for tuning in, getting a little college football convo. Two hours a day, been doing it since the beginning of the 14th season. Hour one, we talked hogs with Ty Richardson. He's the morning uh, show host in, out at ESPN Arkansas. I'm Fayetteville, six to nine every morning out there, Monday through Friday. And we talk spring practice and new OCs and how you get the most from KJ Jefferson, which has to be on the field to do that. Bounced all around the SEC with Connor O'Gara. Going to drill down a little bit. Got Alabama football talk on the horizon in about 15 minutes. Ryan Fowler, he hosts Afternoon Drive. The game, 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. Um, that's tied FM. And then also bottom of the hour, uh, talking LSU and their spring practice. And in particular, there's one guy I'm going to ask him about really one position, but there sort of is a ground zero disposition for a really tough college football, either truth or reality or something. Wilson Alexander covers LSU for the advocate and I have Wilson on and plenty of other things I want to get to, but I, I said Baton Rouge ground zero, the LSU wide receiver group as a whole, ground zero, Chris Hilton's locker, ground zero. This season's best example of a very tough reality in college football. Chris Hilton, do you know him? Chris Hilton is a wide receiver with all manner of physical skills. And he is a kid that came to LSU back two classes ago. And had I, was the number five ranked wide receiver in America. And so you're talking about a big time commit to LSU who has now been there for two seasons and has played a little bit of football for him. Uh, they get you know, great receivers every year. But Chris Hilton, he's a kid out of Zachary, Louisiana. And he was actually that that was a, a there were four receivers in that class. And Brian Thomas is still in the program. He big tall kid. And by reputation, he is uh believe the more um just do his job and then go back to the uh, line of scrimmage. I was going can't say huddle. Um that's his situation. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna catch the ball, and go back there. Uh that is not Malik Neighbors approach. But that is Brian Thomas's apparently. Deion Smith was actually ranked higher than Brian Thomas or Chris Hilton. And Deion Smith, I remember seeing at the end of the season, I was like, oh, he's in the transfer portal. And so Deion Smith uh, decided he wanted to get gone. He wanted to look for somewhere else. And so he's been in the portal. 
Uh, that was, I mean, gosh, a year ago. So when you get this, like, four kids coming to Alabama, remember, the four running backs, they got four out of the top 16 in America one year. Well, Derrick Henry stayed. Who are the others? Alti Tenpenny, he transferred. D. Hart, I want to say, and there was another one. So it was four of the top 16. I was like, wow, that's something. They got four of the top maybe 15 wide receivers. And this guy was a first-round pick, and this guy was a first-round pick, and this guy was a first-round pick, and then Tyrell Shavers transferred. So not everybody, you know, makes it out on the other end wearing the same jersey. That's fine. So Deion Smith, he like, he was the early one. I'm going to the portal. Chris Hilton has not played a whole lot of football at LSU. As a true freshman, played, got hurt. Comes back last year, plays, get got hurt again. And so now in spring practice, He's maybe the number one example in the SEC this coming season. There may be others tied for first, but he's as big an example as anybody of suddenly he's an unproven third-year player and the depth chart looks really crowded. Many times when that is a player at a program like LSU, what that equals is that's not a player at LSU anymore. A lot of times when it's a player at a program of that ilk, then he's a great example of a guy now playing at Missouri or Tulsa. Not Chris Hilton. I'll give him credit. He's still on the giant stage, and he's got a real shot. LSU, a buddy of mine, LSU, I was asking him about just texted him. I was like, hey, man, give me an opinion about uh, Chris Hilton and just fans' view from, you know, the five-yard line upper deck. And his answer well, how many snaps are available? All the snaps other than Malik Neighbors snaps are available. That's the wide open nature. Kayshawn Butte, not there. Dre Jenkins, not there. All right. What do you got? Because you're starting two others. And you're playing three more regularly on top of that. Aaron Andy, yeah, I know all the names. I know all the names. I'm talking about Chris Hilton. Chris Hilton had the pre-freshman year hype, ranking, resume, etc. More than any of them. Injuries, injury, four games as a true freshman, two games last year. There's injury. I mean, there's opportunities, man. I don't know if it is Brian Thomas. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. Kyron Lacey, whoever. But, oh, and if you care... Uh, and we'll ask, uh, we'll bring this up bottom of the hour, but, uh, Malik neighbors, this goes back. I'm going to talk a little bit, not NBA at all. I promise you, but Malik neighbors, uh, Brian Kelly said, no, we handled the gun thing internally. He's not going to miss any time. We handled this internally. Have you seen, do you know who Taylor Jenkins is? Dan, do you know who Taylor Jenkins is? The uh, Grizzlies head coach. And his player, John Morant, gunplay, I'm out at a club, I'm dancing, and he decides, hey, everybody's got me on their cell phone, I'm going to take my gun out and wave it in the air. I'm not going to fire it, but I'm just going to show everybody, hey, I got a gun. I, that's kind of what happened. And so now that coach is this is about job ja being in a better place this is a healing process to put any sort of expectation on jaw would be disrespectful my gosh 
The worst thing here is not being clear and direct with y'all. You can either be on the roster and get paid for all 82 games, or you can be on the shelf and not get a paycheck for X, Y, or Z number of games. Like, this kid gloves and eggshells is actually the disrespectful part here. Oh, sorry, I mispronounced enabling. Um, yeah, that's the NBA head coach where that relationship is completely flipped. Brian Kelly, can I translate? People are, he's not going to do anything. Oh, no, no, no. It's the exact opposite. He said, uh, Brian Kelly said neighbors will not miss any game time as a result of the arrest, the misdemeanor gun charge that was dropped. Kelly said there was internal discipline. I don't know this. I know it, we're going to run some stadiums. Or you're now going to go with our community team and you're going to be on site and you don't get to talk to them. But you have to go do the grunt work, tape up the banners and then clean up afterwards and drive the, the van with all the stuff in it. Our community team that goes out and talks to elementary school kids about making good decisions. Yeah, you don't get to actually speak because you didn't make a good decision. You get to go there and do the grunt work. You get to drive the responsible kids around. I actually saw a version of this play out as a reason. It's like, oh, I'm going to go community. No, 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 no. You don't get to talk. Why not? Because you hadn't been responsible. You hadn't made good choices. That's why. After you have been punished, okay, now you got a story to tell. So I don't know that about Chris Hilton. I just know that's when the coach says there was internal discipline. We all have this idea that the coach says, hey, man, don't worry about it. Do you imagine in 2023 the head coach anywhere? I'm going to say uh, the head coach at LSU. Do you imagine the head coach at LSU looks to the media, quote, there was internal discipline, and then leans over to the kid and says, fold him. We didn't do anything. It's cool. When that story comes out, because that story would come out, I was talking about Honey Badger earlier. The story came out, folks. How many weed tests do you... I stopped counting at 10. Story almost always comes out. Almost always. So when Brian Kelly says there was internal discipline, I don't know what he did. Maybe he had him, you know, right on the board. I will not carry my gun to Mardi Gras. I will not carry my gun to Mardi Gras. I, I, I don't know. But... I do know that in a lot of cases like this, when a coach says internal discipline, it wasn't just a dismissal of, hey, man, don't worry about it. I got you back. I'll go tell the media we <laughs> we made you run stadiums or I, I disciplined him. Usually there really is something there, and it's a very stern talking to, uh, and I mean like one that really gets through to the kid. Um, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it is habitual, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. I don't think anything about Malik Neighbors is a bad kid. Uh, I think that he was at Mardi Gras and he did kind of a silly, immature thing. Uh, that was like in a in a fishbowl. He had a silly, immature moment. I don't think that's the case with John Morant. And I think part of it is because uh, those around John Morant, more than anything, just want John to be happy. Brian Kelly, it appears more than anything, wants his player to make better decisions. And I'm going to handle this. I'm on it. Don't worry. It's just not the environment. I'm not being naive here. And saying, I'm sure he handled it because he's a good... I'm saying, this is not the environment of taking a, even a misdemeanor that was dismissed. It's in the environment of taking that lightly and going, hey, I got you back. That was 1983. Now, nah, I got you back, man. I'll go to the media. I'll tell him we did something. Uh-uh. Don't trust Brian Kelly. I also trust Malik Neighbors. This is actually handled. John Morant. 
I would bet a Franklin right now that we will see John Morant in the news for the wrong reason, something about gunplay, violence, threatening, something, something. Malik Neighbors? I don't believe so. The the second-year college student shouldn't strike me as more mature and of a learning mindset than the guy in his fourth NBA season. That's just a bird's-eye observation. We break. Come back next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. I tell you all the time, all week, all year, it's all college football. And there's usually a thread that weaves back to college football when we are not talking, you know, specifically about that on-field game. Did y'all see quiet news? And I don't think it's going to be quiet once the season gets here. But Calvin Ridley is back in the NFL. Um... I've been around Calvin a little bit. I can't say that I know him at all. Uh, I, I, I understand he's not – he didn't, didn't have maybe the best academic career. Uh, I think he got to play like three games his senior year of high school because in the state of Florida, if you turn 20, um, you can't play high school sports anymore. Uh, Calvin made a really, really bad mistake on something that literally every NFL player that I've ever known has said, all right, well, the first thing you can't do is this. Well, he's back in the league now. And I'm wishing good things for him because, man, he took like an – it was basically an $11 million fine from the NFL. But now Calvin is back. He played at Alabama. And, man, what a stud. Want to welcome on right now a guy that I just want to get a little insight to Calvin's personality if he can, you know, open the curtains a little bit because, like I said, I'm hoping good things for him now that he got a second chance. Afternoon drive host, uh, 100.9 Tide FM. It is Ryan Fowler. Brother, how you doing today? Man, I am doing outstanding. Uh, we are 11 days away from Alabama's first spring practice here in Tuscaloosa, so a little excitement, but uh, the pressure building because this is one of those that uh, you have to prove it, uh, that Alabama has not slipped a little bit, one championship in five years, and then what's brewing over in Athens, uh, you got to be able to put up a hurdle in front of the dogs or they're really going to take over you know, college football uh, if they can win three in a row. Uh, so a lot of conversations here locally in Tuscaloosa. Did you have any experience or is there any insight you can lend to Calvin Ridley? Because when he got busted for gambling on NFL football, I was like, son, literally, like, did you not see the longest yard do anything other than be associated with gambling on an NFL game? Um, and it wasn't shaving points or throwing or anything. I was like, you can't do that. I know everybody knows that. Tell me about Calvin if you know about Calvin. Yeah, Calvin was real – Real shy, not a very talkative guy, um, not to the extreme that Amari Cooper was. Amari was just, I mean, like you'd have to squeeze a word out of him. Uh, Calvin, I got to know Calvin, you know, from here, his playing days. But also I got a chance to know Calvin. Um, we went on a cruise with uh, the Crimson Tide sports marketing team, and I helped uh, Eli Gold out with some assignments and uh, did some you know, some trivia things on the cruise. This was all Alabama fans. And, you know, he was great with the, with the fans, very personable, uh, did a big autograph signing with him. And I, I thought the big Q&A part was one of the other former NFL guys asked him, you know, about game checks. And uh, he, he said, well, I, 
I don't even know where my game checks are. I mean, like, he, he didn't even have a clue where they were stacked at. So probably there was, like, a stack somewhere in his box uh, of these game checks or maybe it's an account that he didn't recognize. But get a chance to get to know him. Um, I know my wife and I uh, went to, uh, I think it was a dinner or lunch, and, and just sat there and picked his brain for a couple of minutes. He, he was a very fascinating guy. I mean, uh, you know, I heard you going into the segment academically, um, he didn't come across to me that way. I mean, he, he looked like he, you know, if he was dedicated, yeah. uh, he probably just lost interest in a couple of different subjects, and I, I'm sure that's probably easy to do. But he he came across to me as a very intelligent guy. Had had really great conversations with him. And, you know, I remember him telling me that, uh, you know, talking about money-wise, he said, you know, you almost, if you're in the back of the first round, he said, you really want to slide to the second when you look at long-term money. He said, and I said, well, why is that? And he, he talked about the fifth-year option of the first-rounders and how a team can lock you in at a cheaper value. But if you get to that second contract quicker, then, you know, long-term. And so I was shocked when, when, when all of that came down, uh, you know, as far as him gambling, you know, in football. That, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. But I also read, I, I thought that letter that he wrote um, was very sincere and and. You know, understanding that he made a mistake, I don't think you're going to see those mistakes from Calvin Ridley. I think he'll learn his lesson, and I think he's going to be a very, you know, continue to be a productive player in the NFL. I, I see it happening. I've always said it's a tough world if there ain't no second chances. And, I mean, even like, you know, remember when Cam said his silly thing about the woman asking about the play call and then he lost the, the yogurt commercial? I was like, Cam just got fined $2 million a year uh, for being silly. Um, we have a pretty stiff penalty system in place right now. Uh, and, boy, Calvin, I think it was about $11 million it cost him. So he's back in the game. Good for him. Uh, I just want to ask you one thing about because you said uh, it's March 20th, I believe. They're kicking off spring practice there. So we still got about a week and a half. Uh, the one question about quarterback is that I want to ask you about as quarterback. You know, it's, it's there's an assumption, well, Ty, gets the, Ty Simpson gets the job and then Jalen Milrow doesn't, and what happens? What if Jalen Milrow does get the job? Um, do you have any insight, any guess as to what Ty Simpson's response may be? Because I know what it is in a lot of places. Well, the, the one thing that Nick Saban is really good at, just based on, you know, history here, is keeping the quarterback competition until, like, the Friday prior to uh, the game. Now, I think with Tua and Jalen, that second go around uh, was was one of those that Tua just separated him so much in fall camp. There was no way that Nick Saban could keep it a secret because every time he had a player availability, they were announcing it. Uh, listen, I think it would take a lot for Jalen Milrow, but I'm not giving up on anybody. Listen, Jalen Hurts has proved me wrong enough uh, when I look back at him and, and, and very inconsistent in throwing the football. I don't know if it's fair to judge Jalen Milrow on that one Texas A&M game. Uh, some mop-up duty. I think the, the kid's the fastest guy on the team, and he looks like, you know, speaking here in Georgia, he looks like he's carved out of stone mountain granite. I mean, I mean, the guy is just uh, – it, it doesn't seem like there's any body fat on him. Fastest guy on the team. There's got to be some type of role for him uh, on this football team, and I think he could be a weapon. Now, if Ty Simpson loses out, you know, his dad's a coach, so I think that's – where he's probably got a little bit of an advantage mindset-wise going into this competition. I've been around Ty a little bit, interviewed him coming out of high school, was very impressed, talking to people locally here uh, that, that really his accuracy is, is spot on with, with Bryce Young's accuracy. Now, listen, he didn't have the experience 
you know, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. But I expect big things from Ty Simpson. And I think Tommy Reese is going to be an asset to that because they're probably going to do a little bit more play action and try to get some of that pressure off by running the football, uh, you know, without a Bryce Young. Tommy Reese is going to be key, but is Nick Saban willing to give him the keys to go back to more of a physical approach? That question is to be determined. Yeah, Ryan, uh, I, I'm kind of like you. I look around and go, well, at least I wasn't the only one looking at Jalen Hurts going, yeah, I'm skeptical. Um, he's about to get a signing bonus delivered on a flatbed truck. So I think he has yeah. proved all of us <laughs> he, wrong. Sure, and I don't mind being wrong. I mean, I'm one of those media guys. But, you know, here in Tuscaloosa, he was consistently inconsistent. Uh, but, you know, a credit to him, uh, his work ethic was able to go back and fix it. I think Lincoln Riley's a credit there. But I also think that year of waiting behind Tua also helped Jalen. Now, I think he would probably admit uh, that he learned a lot, you know, waiting uh, for that year, having to be patient and to go back and iron out his skills. And he's certainly done that in the NFL. Follow this man on Twitter at Ryan C. Fowler. You can listen to him. It is the game every afternoon on 100.9 FM yonder in Tuscaloosa. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Hey, you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Yes, sir. Tide FM, fantastic station in Tuscaloosa again, and he is the afternoon drive man out there um, again every two to six afternoon Mondays through Friday again, Ron Fowler. Uh, so that is the aftermath if Jalen Milrow gets the job. Now, I was going to ask him, is there any chance, even if it's really, really obvious, he didn't really do it with Tua. That's the if if because the players always know, and the players know when you're trying to slow play it or a kid glove it or whatever the eggshell approach. And if the play the other players, I'm saying not like in this case the two quarterbacks involved, if the quarterback who is involved and is not really the player, the player, the starter, the guy, the man. If he knows that and he realizes that you're kind of patronizing, you can ruin the relationship at that point. So many coaches that have a reputation of being either uh, too blunt or in your face or direct, they've always there's always a response in there of, I think players appreciate honesty. And so that's more of what you're looking for than anything in this quarterback race. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY. And there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. 
And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. It's Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and we're talking college football right now specifically. Under the main heading of college football, we're going to talk a little LSU, and I really started way, way, way back. Uh, mentioned at the beginning of the program, and then got a little more of a deep dive into it. There's so many great things to talk about with LSU, so many more interesting things than, hey, what's going to happen at quarterback? I know what's going to happen at quarterback for this season, if, barring injury. Uh, the only LSU thing is, all right, well, what happens after this season? Well, we'll get to that. We got time. Like Chris Hilton, I want to know what happens this season. Malik Neighbors, I know what's going to happen. I want to know what happens like the two, three, four guys after that. And Chris Hilton, like I said, he's the number one example in the SEC this coming season of, Suddenly, he's an unproven third-year player who had five stars and the depth chart. Wow, it looks crowded. Maybe he emerges. I don't know. Want to welcome on now a guy. He'll know what's going to happen from the advocate. They do a great job covering LSU, and it's all him. It's Wilson Alexander. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, Chuck. How are you this afternoon? Oh, I'm doing well. Let's first of all uh, cover old business. Uh, Malik Neighbors and that gun thing in Mardi Gras. Uh, Brian Kelly said, I'm handling it. The charge was dismissed, and I'm going to handle it internally. Do you have any idea what that internal discipline was? Because I I, I said, I have a little faith. Like, Brian Kelly took it seriously, and he's going to get his point across. But it also is a charge that's dropped, and so no playing time will be missed. What's your understanding? Exactly pretty much what you said. You know, neighbors, there was – there was multiple cases of this on Mardi Gras weekend in New Orleans, and Neighbors was the only person who got named because he's an LSU football player. Um, but this was something that was uh, – he wasn't the only sort of case of this uh, around that time. And so – but like you said, the gun charge got dropped uh, very quickly. Prosecutors not pursued charges for a couple of different reasons, and as long as he uh, did not try to – to as long as they were able to just keep the gun and he didn't you know, regain possession of it. And so, you know, Brian Kelly said that there was internal discipline. What that is, we don't know, um, but he will not miss any game time as a result of that incident. All right, well, let's talk about um, the other wide receivers because Malik Neighbors, I was like, if he's healthy and he's there, I kind of know, I think I know what's going to happen there. Uh, not a lot of other proven talent is back. Uh, I like me some Brian Thomas. Let's start with him. I've seen a little bit of Brian Thomas. Tell me what you think the blue sky is, maybe the outcome for Brian Thomas in 23. It's going to be interesting because he's the only, he's sort of number two in the pecking order right now. Um, because he's been on the field the most out of this crowded group of wide receivers, but he still has, doesn't have now going into year three, a season with more than 400 yards receiving in a year. You know, he he's better last year, certainly. Um, but at the end of the day, at the, you know, he caught more touchdowns, but he wasn't necessarily a major difference maker on this team last year at receiver. Now you had a few, but this is sort of the year where you start to look at him and say, okay, are you going to become that bonafide number two um, behind, around the league neighbors and really show that you can be a, 
frontline SEC player and not just sort of another name at wide receiver. You know, he's got the height that separates himself from the rest of the guys on LSU's roster. He's got a little bit of experience now. And so it's going to be really interesting to see if he can kind of be that really solid number two or if LSU has more of a rotation around the league. Um, and it's Brian Thomas is just a member of that. What about Chris Hilton? Because, you know, he's never been the most physically imposing kid, and then there's an injury, and then there's another injury, and then, like, he's just not on the field. And I look around, I'm like, what happened in the past two seasons? Like, they're gone. Uh, where is he right now overall? Because he's supposed to be playing at, like, Tulsa or Middle Tennessee State, but he's still at LSU. He is healthy, which is the finally for him uh, kind of the difference. His freshman year, he was injured. And last year, he had a meniscus. Uh, during fall camp, and then he had a shoulder injury, and they went ahead and got surgery, taking care of on the shoulder during the season last year with the expectation that he would be back for the spring. So practice opened up today. He was on the field. You know, it wasn't any sort of major, you know, interesting drill work going on, but he was out there with the rest of the receivers. And, you know, Hilton, someone I could circle kind of coming into this spring as uh, maybe a returning player who could really do a lot for himself because, like you said, he hasn't really played. He's got like seven or nine career catches. But he's also, within those nine career catches, has an 81-yard touchdown and a 51-yard grab down the seam last year, where in both cases he showed off his speed. And that's the thing that makes Chris so different from the rest of these LSU receivers, even Malik Neighbors. He's, Chris has got some blazing fast speed. He was a, a really successful track uh, runner in high school. And if he can stay on the field, then he would be able to bring a kind of a different element to this wide receiver room. Um, but for him, it all starts with just being healthy and being able to show what he can actually do on the field and get himself into that competition. Uh, my understanding is there's a little bit more excitement about a wide receiver who hadn't even showed up yet. Um, Shelton Sampson, that he'll be there maybe this summer, I guess. Uh, he's not there for spring, but can you give us a little uh, bit of an opinion? Cause he's a kid from Baton Rouge, isn't he? He is. He's local. He went to Catholic high here in Baton Rouge. Um, and he was uh, certainly somebody there. Everybody's very excited about. He's a four-star prospect. Uh, top 100 nationally on the 24-7 sports composite. It's hard to say exactly how he fits into LSU's uh, plan in 2023 because, like you said, he doesn't get here until the summer. Um, there's a couple other early enrollees at wide receiver who are going to have a little bit more time here in the spring uh, to show what they can do. Uh, that's being Jalen Brown and Kyle Parker. Um, and Jalen Brown is sort of in, in that Chris Hilton mold as sort of a thin fast wide receiver. Um, I know LSU is excited about him because of his speed and maybe being able to stretch the defenses vertically in that way. Um, and Shelton, we'll just kind of have to see, you know, he's 6'4", 181. Uh, they're gonna, he's going to kind of have to get onto campus first before we really know how he fits into things in 2023. And of the early enrollees, I was looking at Kyle Parker. And again, you can be, I mean, I watched Trendon Holiday good, do good stuff out there. Uh, he is, again, not the most physically overwhelming kid, but quicks and speed and everything else can make up for it. Uh, is this just like he's drinking from a garden ho- a fire hose right now? Well, I'm sure a lot of those freshmen are right now. I mean, it was the first day, and Brian Kelly sort of told a little story. We actually hear him right before his press conference. Trey Holly, the freshman running back, came past him looking for Frank Wilson, the running back's coach, because he had made some mistakes in practice like freshmen do. And Brian Kelly's like, it's okay, just showing up. And that's just keep showing up. And that's kind of his message for all the true freshman early enrollees right now. It's just keep coming every single day. You're going to get better. And that's the case it is with just about everybody. Kyle's interesting, though, is, uh, because well, he's not the highest-rated receiver that LSU signed out of the four um, that, it, that it got in this class. Um, you know, he's, I think, a 300, something like that nationally uh, as a four-star. There's some who think that he might be most kind of the co- most college-ready of that whole group. And so he's going to get some reps here in the spring to show what he can do as well. 
All right, last thing for you, and this is more not anecdotal. Talk about the kid and the unit and all that, the offensive line, because I saw that a former Maryland offensive lineman, guy started like 30 games in the Big Ten. He transfers to LSU, and it's almost like a, oh, yeah, we got this kid from Maryland. Um, And he's a depth guy? And, like, this grown man, probably a guard, six, seven, 300 pounds, uh, just talk about him in particular, Mason Lunsford, but then also how he fits into the unit because he can play both interior spots. He's more than just a depth guy. He's going to be able to come in here and compete. And I talked to him after uh, you know it came out that he uh, was coming to LSU after he had signed that paperwork after visiting over the weekend. And he said he's looking forward to that competition because LSU is bringing back Um, five guys who started multiple games on the offensive line. The first team uh, it feels confident in, um, but it needed more people who actually compete for starting time uh, this season and not just some of the freshmen who are coming in who they're really excited about, but are freshmen. And it's hard to know that you can rely on a freshman. Now here comes Lunsford. Like you said, he's got 29 career starts, 20, uh, excuse me, 26 career starts, 23 over the last two seasons, primarily at left guard. And gives LSU, you know, if he doesn't win the job, then he's great quality depth because he's got two years of eligibility left. Uh, he's got a ton of size and experience playing in the Big Ten. Um, but then he can also compete for a spot. And either way, then LSU has improved what it wants to be able to do on the interior. It's going to be interesting to see if he ends up getting any reps at center. That's a spot that's even though Charles Turner is back um, for another year as, as after having started for the first time last season, it's still a spot where LSU is letting competition play out there. Marlon Martinez is in the mix. And uh, Lunsford has never really played center at the college level. Um, but if Brad Davis wants to cross-train him there, he's all for it. Uh, they do a lot of cross-training at LSU with the offensive linemen. So um, that'll be interesting to see if he gets center reps or if he really just stays at guard. All right. Uh, overall opinions of guys that maybe you have to guess a little bit because they're either way limited or maybe out completely. And these are just guys that I have a couple of guys that caught my eye when they first showed up with the program. And it's, you know, various tales here with how it's going for them. Uh, how about uh, Armani Goodwin? He's going to be a junior um, again, not the most uh, biggest guy in the world, most physical guy in the world, but he's a good, good running back. Uh, is he going to practice at all in the spring? No, he's not. He is out for the spring. He is not going to be back until fall camp. Um, He had a knee injury late last season, and it sounds like that's what he's still dealing with here. Uh, The exact nature of that knee injury, I'm not totally sure. Um, But with Goodwin, he he won't be able to practice. Else, he's kind of thin at running back here in the spring because he's out. Josh Williams is banged up and might get back at some point in the spring, but that's uncertain. And then John Emery is out uh, because of acad- uh, having to focus on academics right now in the spring. And so LSU's only got a couple of running backs, Noah Kane and really, really Trey Holly, uh, to go with right now in the spring. And, and Goodwin is, is, won't, is kind of furthest behind out of all of them because he won't be able to practice until preseason camp. If he can get on the field, he's really explosive and brings kind of an element to LSU's running back room that it doesn't quite have from anybody else. All right, we like big, giant humans who show some athleticism. And so Mason Smith, he's a big, giant human. When he showed up, I was like, ooh, what kind of football players he's going to turn into? And I watched the opener last year. I was like, no, no, no. Where is he on the road back? He is getting closer. He is out on the field today with a group of injured guys who were just running off to the side. Uh, he's going to be cleared. He was even in his helmet and everything, doing as much as he possibly could without actually going through individual drills. He'll be cleared for non-contact participant, uh, you know, non-contact work um, here pretty soon. And so for the sort of the last, you know, month, uh, LSU's got a break next week, and then they come back. And so maybe uh, once they come back. Um, he'll be able to do a little bit more, um, and certainly later in the spring do a little bit more in terms of individual work. And even if it's just that, Brian Kelly uh, said the other day, um, that that's great for LSU because of the inside pass rush that he brings. 
Makai Wingo did a really great job filling in for Mason last year, but Mason's a different kind of interior pass rusher. And that LSU is going to really help what they want to do on the defensive front and being super multiple and bringing that kind of uh, presence off the inside and collapsing the pocket that way um, because you got Harold Perkins coming off the edge, some other edge rushers they like, but they don't want Harold to just get doubled. And having Mason's presence back in there is going to be vital for this defense to be able to do that. Did y'all hear that? First thing he said was, got his helmets now. That's big. That literally is the, if you can't participate, hide his helmet, take his helmet, you don't get a helmet. If he's got his helmet, I'm like, ooh, okay, he may be close. So uh, appreciate the insight as always, Wilson. It's always good stuff, man. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Yep, Wilson Alexander, the advocate. That's it. If you don't have your helmet, unless you're Thurman Thomas, if you don't have your helmet, then that means it's been declared and take his helmet. Or don't give him his helmet. Or where did he put his helmet? All right, go hide it. Thurman Thomas was an um, all-pro running back. Hall of Fame level running back. And I don't know if he got in. In fact, I doubt he did. Thurman Thomas is unbelievable. He was actually the starter at Oklahoma State ahead of Barry Sanders. And to start a Super Bowl, he was playing for Buffalo. Buffalo gets the opening kickoff, return it to wherever they return at the 27-yard line or wherever. All right, Buffalo's on offense. Hey, wait a minute. Where's the best running back in the league? Oh, he can't find his helmet. What? Helmets and cleats. That's one thing that has really surprised me about how all the alternate helmets and all that. Those two things, those are really, really personal for players. How a helmet fits and then their cleats. And because there is so much, you know, obviously you wear them and you run around, you sweat and get them dirty and everything else. You can get the cleats where you want, but if you already got them, you don't want to put on new cleats. Uh, but you can do it. Uh, but the helmet is even more so. You're like, oh, this thing fits right. All right, we're going to wear a chrome helmet. Well, when? Well, just this week. Huh? I've, that's, I'm telling you, that's not good for the players. Not. Uh, and so you take his helmet, and he's not going to grab another one. It's not. So what was the – wasn't it the fight, Dan, in Gainesville? Like somebody thought when Will Muschamp was there, one of the defensive linemen beat up or punched or whoever, Marty Morningwig's kid. He stole my cleats. And he's like, no, I didn't. They're over there. He's like, oh, sorry. Uh, cleats and helmets. Don't screw with them. Really, really personal for players. And so uh, they take the helmet or they give the helmet. That is the divider. Is he able? All right, he's got a helmet. Maybe we're going to get something from him. Mason Smith, big, giant human, plays on the defensive line. Could be a difference maker. We break. Wrap up the show next. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show we've been very productive but i do have a pride that there's still more meat on that boat and uh and frankly we have not you know accomplished our goals the last two years so that's easy to identify. We gotta do that, and we gotta play our part. Ohio State offensive coordinator for now, Brian Hartline. He's gonna be somebody's head coach, and I don't know if it turns out good, bad, dead, or buried. But he's gonna be somebody's head coach. You just never know. I was mentioning Will Muschamp at Gainesville. Yeah, gruesome sometimes. 
Even the good year, the offense, I was like, that's not what it's supposed to look like. South Carolina, not good. Defensive coordinator, yeah. Recruiter, yeah. Coach, yeah. Play caller, absolutely. Love me some Will Muschamp. Head coach, I don't believe so anymore. Some guys, yeah. I've told you, very fond of Gus on a personal level. Just a, He's a good guy. Um, he was better as a coordinator than he was a head coach, and he's had success as a head coach, and he's never going to be a coordinator again unless he chooses. But you don't know how it turns out. I'm saying he was even better as a coordinator. As a head coach, you're like, I have more questions about you as a head coach than ever did as a coordinator. I know it's different. But Brian Hartline, he's got the resume, and he's got the I – mean, there's nothing left. So he's the OC now. He's talking about the offense going to the next level. Well, outstanding. Take the offense to the next level. Let's replace this quarterback that just threw 85 touchdowns in two seasons, and we will go to the next level. Oh, replace that guy. I say 85 touchdowns. He did throw like 10 or so, 10, 12 interceptions. So he did have 12 interceptions, but it's the 85 touchdowns that I believe will outweigh that. You go eight to one, I'm I'm good with it. So that's Brian Hartline, and he's talking about what's ahead for him. Um, it's going to be a very different looking offense depending on who gets the starting quarterback job, because unlike a lot of places where kind of you got one offense, Ryan Day has kind of had one offense, but when you have an option like you did with Justin Fields, or you may with Devin Brown, then that can kind of rejigger the playbook. But it's a different talent without really having a different um, different offense, different sets, different formations, different all of that as your general approach. Uh, when I say – the reason I'm – I don't want to say we run an offense because so many people, you know, you, we, we see something, myself included, on TV, we see a formation, we think that's the offense. The formation is going to look the same. It really is. If you have a, quote, dual-threat quarterback, uh, Devin Brown, if he's oh, there, or Kyle McCord, if you have a dual-threat or a running or a mobile or an athletic or whatever whatever applies to a kid, if you have him there versus – I'm a traditional pocket passer. The setup is going to look the same. It's not like – if a you know one guy gets it, Ryan Day suddenly going to come out with him under center and double wings with like a fullback. All right, well we're going with this guy. New offense, you, John Fox. Do you remember when John Fox was at Denver? Was that the coach for uh, Denver? I don't know when it was. It was like five or six weeks into the season. Denver was in last, and he showed up on a Monday. And for whoever it was that told him, maybe the owner, I don't know, whatever. Start Tim Tebow. He's like, okay. All right, guys, hey, totally new offense today. He's the quarterback. Let's talk option football on Sundays or zone read or whatever it is. That That's extreme. That almost never happens. So there are nuances and layers of distinction to make, but you still kind of have one offense. You're just going to have different options thrown off of it. Ryan Day will figure it out, but um, – that is a lot more on the players on the field than anything Brian Hartline is going to do with the play sheet. Dan, how's the Thursday running? It's a very valuable lesson to, and, and what I'm talking about right here is building off what you were just talking about with Thurman Thomas at the uh, end of the last segment. Three ways for your football helmet. 
in the only three ways on the field for anybody out there that is still playing the game. Number one, if you are lucky enough to play at a school that has those posts that are behind the bench right there, stick it right there. Number two, in your hand. And number three, which probably should be number one of all, even on the sidelines, just keep it on. You do those three things. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, I'm not trying to go Arlie Ermey as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman here and let you know, you know, hey, go to sleep at night with your helmets, you know, because that thing is basically one of your organs that needs to be attached to you at all times. And that's it. I mean, it's just an organizational thing. Keep it on your head. You never lose it. That's it. I mean, I I remember even in practices where it was, nope, don't take your helmets off. Because guess what? Coach doesn't want to lose time of, hey, where's my helmet before you get on the field? Uh, That's something that uh, is uh, always a concern for some. Uh, Speaking of uh, concerns for some, it it seems like this uh, spring practice, at least from uh, what I've seen from Brian Kelly after day one there at LSU, at least one concern is out of the way. And what I'm about to say is going to sound so simple to people, but it's everything all in the same thing. I don't know if it was a part of his press conference today or it was his visit with uh, Wilson Alexander, Chuck, but he had talked about in year two, we don't have to teach these guys how to practice. And some people might say to themselves, well, that's ridiculous. What do you need to teach people how to practice for? You run routes, uh, linemen hit sleds. I mean, you know, maybe you run over a few bags. You know, what else do you necessarily need to do? No, it's about, hey, this is where you back off right here because you need to turn it up a little bit later on and practice. Or no, that's about as far as you need to go today because guess what? This is day one. This isn't day 53 of us doing this already. And some people, again, might take that as being so simple. But again, when a coach says that, I think you got to feel really good as a fan whenever your coach is saying, yeah, we don't have to worry about that part anymore because what is one thing that coaches don't want to do? worry and if you don't have to worry about one thing then it gives your attention to something else that's more important i've always said where you want to get to as a coach i want to coach i don't want to teach teaching is this is how we line up this is how we do calisthenics this is i want to get to the point where i'm not teaching i just want to coach you more of a level thing wraps it up on this thursday back in 22 hours thank y'all The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout metro atlanta jim ellis automotive where you can always expect the best 
This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.